Good afternoon, everyone. This is Adam Huber and Shelly Gaddis. This is Shelly Gaddis. Gaddis. Make sure not to... Put, throw that L in there this week. Well, what you thought was an L. No, I, I listened to it. <laughs> there, there was definitely yeah. an L in there last week. <laughs> uh, with Marketing Monday, and we have the amazing Vani Har- Harari. I, he, I asked him like how to pr- officially announce his name, and he said there's like three pronunciations of it and i decided to go with harari just because it sounds like ferrari because the man is accelerating he's he's f- going fast into the future trying to there's really only right one right way to say it but there's the other acceptable ways to say it which is it's kind of a potato potato type situation well what's what's the proper enunciation how did it yeah see i i can't we talked right. about this i can't do it right. i'm really it's, sorry right. it is yeah it's and a mid, I, well, midwest white person thing and i don't say it like <laughs> i just you know when i'm around with people who know that i'm saying it wrong i try to say it right you know uh real quick aside i'm gonna totally mess up this entire intro but i when i was at optimum i worked with a guy who is from quebec and mm-hmm. like full french and like his name is ivan lacroix like that's the american way to say his name Lacroix. Yeah, trying to say his first name in French, so yeah. difficult. Is yeah. it yeah. like it's so difficult to say it? It's, you know, it's like only in America where like you can sound like a jerk by saying stuff correctly. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you, can you pass me a, a can of Lacroix, please? Yeah, that's absolutely not how you say that. But you know, whatever. Yeah. So, guys, uh, welcome to Marketing Monday. We, Like I said, we have Vani here, and Vani is an extremely accomplished individual. Happy to call him a friend of mine. Him and I have had many amazing talks. Uh, Shelly, I mean, how often have you and Vani talked? Twice, I think. Yeah, we had good, really? We had yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah. That's almost sad. It was one of those. I, there was some post. I don't know if it was Clint or somebody. Somebody posted. And yeah. I was like, I don't think I've ever actually like met you yeah. face to face. And well, this we is were like, get, let's change it. And we this did, is going to get delicious then. We have some coffee and chop yeah. it up. But yep. I'm happy to carry on the conversation. So for you guys who are just joining us, um, please do comment any questions that you're going to have for Vani. We're going to get into a couple of different things, what's Vani up to nowadays, and see if we can help him out at all. But for you guys who don't know what this whole thing is about, Marketing Monday actually started because of a little place in town or that used to be here called The Bakery. Mm-hmm. Every Monday, uh, Vani, you were there quite often, weren't yeah. you? Um, and Everybody would, it was basically a round table where anybody could come and ask any marketing questions that they had. And uh, Shelly and I, we really wanted to get back into the entrepreneurial community of Sioux Falls. And we thought that one of the best ways to do that was to do Marketing Monday again. But with a little bit of a twist where instead of having a round table, we just have people come in that might be trying to tackle something marketing wise, not acting as experts, but just as people that we could offer our advice and say, hey, you know, have you thought about trying this or, you know, so on and so forth. So you're on with us today, um, maybe not necessarily as a having marketing issues, but we I'd the people deserve to know yeah. who Vani is and what well, you. what you have going on with Think 3D and everything like that is absolutely awesome and more people should know about it. So, Vani, you mind giving us a little diddly about, and yes, we're going to say diddly. I'm going to add an L into that. 
<laughs> Last week, Adam was having some trouble speaking. Yeah. And so we had Diddy's and we had Diddly's and we had Gladys. I told okay. her I told her it's not Diddy because she can't be invoking the great one's name. You okay. know, P. Diddy. Yeah, no. I, I'm familiar. <laughs> um, it happens sometimes. Sometimes, you know, you get tangled up a little bit. Yeah. Well, um, just a little background for me. Uh, I, I do I do a lot of different things, but the main thing that I, my focus is on is I'm a co-founder of Think 3D. Uh, we specialize in leadership development, training, and organizational culture consulting. So we help organizations uh, craft a, a particular style or a strategy into developing their culture, common language, help develop some skills and build leaders so that they can run optimally. So that's what our primary kind of function is. Um, outside of that, um, uh, Be the Noble One is my stage name, so I have several albums, so I did a lot of marketing through the musical com uh, component, still have a band that I operate with right now, um, Be the Noble One in the Knights Temple, so you can look for us this summer doing that, uh, as well as just being a habitual board member, so I I'm usually on about you know five to seven boards at a time, I'm, I need to switch that up a little bit, but so I do a lot um, of uh, content and marketing and, and assistance in that way for Gotcha. Um, a lot of nonprofits. So tell us a little bit, at me for sure, like a little bit of background to like, how did you get here to A, South Dakota, and B, being a musician, and then deciding that this is something that our area needed as far as Think 3D goes, and you and Tamian starting that? And... Yeah, I think, um, well, first of all, I'm originally from Buffalo, New York, and, and um, at the time, early 90s, when uh, we moved out here, uh, it was the number one place to live. My uncle was out here for some military stuff, which was the only reason why he was out here. And, and uh, he just marveled at the fact that it was clean. And these crazy people left their cars running, and their purse <laughs> on the front seat, and they didn't lock the doors. And, and so he, you know, he would call back. And obviously, the environment that we were living in was, you know, the antithesis of that. And so um, uh, we decided to get up and, and move and came here. And, and so uh, the rest is, is history, as they say. In terms of what made me think about doing Think 3D, I think with most businesses, or even in music, I think with most businesses, it's not necessarily um, that the place needed it, it's that you need it, you know? I, th I think That's what happened point. was, is uh, for me, the music, I needed it. I needed the expression. I needed a hip-hop scene. And so I've always been the type of person where if something wasn't there, I put it there. You know? That's you, great. You and Tamian have a great saying at, um, at three, Think 3D, which is, it's something along the lines of, uh, if you aren't intentional about creating culture in your company, one will get made whether or not you intend it. Something along those right. lines. What's what's that actual? Right. A culture will emerge whether intended or not. But if it's not one that you invest in, it'll certainly be one that you pay for. It's, you got to cut the check out of the way. Yeah. I mean, that, that saying right there is almost something that you kind of have to chew on a little bit yeah. and, like, think about it. Because, you know, a lot of older people that I've run into, um, I'll say – Probably, I'm just going to be straight up ageist about this, but mostly most people that I've met that are like 50 and older just really do not get the concept or even the idea of culture. Right. And this is something that's especially true for what I've experienced in service-based businesses. Shelly and I kind of had a talk about this a couple of weeks ago about service-based businesses and leadership and everything like that. I've got my own viewpoints on what's going to happen in that space mm -hmm. over the next couple of years. We're not going to, I don't necessarily want to go down that rabbit hole because I'll start shouting and everything like that. I'll, oh, get, okay. I'll get pretty emotional. Okay. okay. So <laughs> lots of passion. Um, but I just think that it's something that's really awesome that you guys are um, making sure that this is 
uh, is at the forefront of a lot of things of what you guys are doing for Sioux Falls. Yeah. And th- I should say the region. Because yeah, obviously sure. you don't operate just out of Sioux Falls. No, we do not. But, you know, it's one of those things where it's probably um, uh, less age than it is era. Right? That was just, that was the time. There's people of that age that want all the same stuff the millennials want now. They just don't expect it because they haven't had any reason to expect it. They haven't had any reason to think that that was something that was accessible for them. Um, a lot of people who are working now, boomers and things of that nature, were working at a time where you were lucky to have a job and there was a line around the, uh, around the building of people who wanted your position. And so no one had to really deal with um, uh, an employee because they could just move you out. Also at that time, you were dealing with uh, positions that were a lot more static. They weren't as dynamic. They didn't require as much niche skill or uh, subjective skills, soft skills. Back then, it was like, put the widget in the what's-it and move it down the line. Yep. Well, you can grab somebody off the street and do that. And so you didn't have a whole lot of space at that time to be able to say, hey, I'd like to have a sleep pod, or you think I could leave for my kid's baseball game or whatever. That just wasn't a thing. So they want it, and that's usually what a lot of our job is, is kick-starting that back into people's brains. It's giving them to be able to hope again, to be able to say that I deserve this and I can have this and I should have the expectation that my employer be considerate about my life in its totality. Yeah. Uh, do you find that when you are um, doing some of these makeovers or just like interjecting these thought pieces into mm-hmm. businesses and stuff like that, um, are you running into a lot of, well, this isn't what we had to, this isn't what we have have had to do so why do we need to start doing it now to appease new employees or just new people coming into the company yeah well that one that part is easy because you know um then we can say are you comfortable with what you have if you're not then we have to do something else yeah you can't keep getting you can't get what you want by to keep doing what you've been doing so so that part is easy to get them to that part to to be able to say that what you're doing isn't necessarily working um, sometimes what is difficult is to, is to get to why it's not working. Is it not working because of the idea is flawed? Is it not working because you're not executing it effectively? Is it not working because you're not supporting it as leaders or you don't require the skill sets? Or is it because people don't have the belief in the base to actually buy into a particular thing? So there's a lot of reasons. Sometimes we can come into things and the idea that they're executing is, is, is perfectly fine, but they're, they're putting it on top of a mountain of... Uh, mistrust and flavors of the week and different nonsense that they were just throwing in there haphazardly. And so, yeah, this is not working because they have no reason to have faith or trust in what it is that you're doing. And that's required for people to truly buy in. Normally when people say they want buy-in, what they mean is they want buy-it. And buy-it is you walk in, you give somebody any set of circumstances and they accept those set of circumstances and just do the best they can despite how they feel about them. Versus buy-in where it communicates ownership, where I'm engaging you in a deeper level. I'm actually taking your opinion into account. What you say to me can actually affect my decision-making um, to figure out what is the best way to go about doing a particular thing. And so most people, when they say buy-in, what they mean is buy-it. So we have to change that thinking is one of the first things that we have to do so people are just a little bit more considerate about um, how they're approaching it. Mm. So kind of spinning around to the marketing aspect, all of what you're saying is reminding me of a conversation that I had in last week in the other role that I play in my life. And it was specifically about recruitment and about, Mm -hmm. um, 
recruitment as well as retention and kind of breaking down some of that. So do you, when you talk to a lot of businesses out there, whether it's small business or whether it's bigger businesses, like, do you, is there different ways that you're seeing the culture shift as far as what people are going after in a job? So for instance, one of the things that I'm really hoping this place gets to is that they come up with more customized offers. Like they're having a really difficult time with recruitment and then mm-hmm. also with retention, but everybody gets the same thing, which really hasn't changed for right. 20 years, right? right? Well, when you're talking to, like even in my case, I just had a conversation with my husband about this, like 25-year-old Shelly wanted something very different out of a job than 40-year-old Shelly wants out of a job, right? Mm-hmm. So I really, there's a big difference between pay, vacation, family, flexibility, you know, all of that mm-hmm. kind of stuff between 25 and 40-year-olds. So, like, is that something that you guys see changing dramatically in the last couple of years as far as what companies are killing it with their recruitment and retention versus the ones that aren't? Some are. Not not as much as you will probably hope. Not everybody is, is, is really great at that for um, for a couple reasons. Um, the, you know, the, probably one of the first reasons is, is that, you know, recruitment happens by way of retention, meaning that you can't hire who you want if you're busy hiring who right. you need. Right. And so if you're just getting in warm bodies, you don't have the time to be able to use your discernment to really go through the type of process that's going to find you the right human. What people do is they take a fixed and limited process and they try to find um, a dynamic answer from it. They try to get this complex read out of it. So what you do is you sit down with a person for a span of about 20 minutes, you read a series of questions, you do some pseudoscience, body language reading, and then at the end of it, you make a determination about whether or not this is a person you're going to want to have in your organization and your family for the next 10 to 20 years, presumably. Right. That's just an absurd notion to begin with. Right. What, Absolutely. Are we, what are we talking about? Like, you know what I mean? Imagine if, if whether or not you married someone came down to an interview. Right. That's, exa- just, that's exactly where my head goes know, with it. It's just absurd. Even when we talk about the process, people say all the time, well, oh, you know, resumes, you know, how do we feel? How do you feel about that? And I say, well, it depends. I mean, I think resumes are important if you're hiring a resume writer. If you're not, then, you know, because that series of information, I can go to somebody to write it for me. They can produce it. They can make it look great. They can make it sound great. I'm not going to independently verify or validate almost anything on there. Mm -hmm. I know that you did it. I don't know how well that you did it. I don't know how well you worked with other people. And even if I were to get word from your boss, that doesn't mean it says anything about what it's like for somebody that works for you or somebody that works with you. It's such a limited experience. So to to get something from that. So we're, we're, we're hoping that people start to be more thoughtful and change the way that they do that interview process. And the other thing that you're seeing right now that I do think is great is people are engaging people younger and they're developing people younger. And so not that school isn't important, but they're grabbing people at a younger age in their lives and they're saying, we're going to educate you within our organization. And that is going to be a huge thing that's going to start to bring in uh, recruitment. And so as you see, what what I suspect will happen is, is as you see the relationship with, say, people's health care and some of the other benefits start to diminish a little bit, the education is going to uptick. Uh, employers have always participated in education, but now it's a little bit more insulated. The other thing is, is that we spend so much time trying to address inequity in organizations, particularly in the United States, that that's rubbing up against the new time where people want um, autonomy and they they don't want to be thought of as monolithic. They want a customized solution for them. They don't necessarily want what everybody wants. And so we're at a rub right now just in 
society in terms of how we manage inequity versus how we manage customization because sameness isn't necessarily fairness Hmm. yeah i think it's super important just as as somebody who had multiple employees in a business in the past and now Mm -hmm. being in multiple organizations now as an employee being on the other side of it now like it's very interesting to see the the kind of companies and the, the thought process that comes down when they're hiring and recruiting and like I guess I haven't looked at this for 20, and to me, it's like, it's, you know, I love that you referred back to marriage. Like, if my husband and I got into a marriage after two dates, and then Mm -hmm. we didn't continuously communicate with each other over the years and change and adapt to what we needed, both personally and together as a couple, there's no way we would make it for 20 years. And how do organizations expect to keep an employee for 20 years if you're not having a two-way communication with them and constantly changing to be able to meet each other's needs? For sure. Yeah. That's what it is. It's it's a relationship. And and, in any relationship, um, you have to manage it and you have to communicate, which is why, you know, internal marketing and those type of things are super vital right now in the world. For sure. So I actually, um, at my previous job, interviewed one of your co-workers co-founders um and we actually talked a lot about this and because i know there's going to be a lot of people that are possibly watching this that are service-based businesses i'll kind of dive into a yeah. little bit what uh he and i talked about which is kind of what i did <clears throat> at hd but i want your opinion on this do you think that a apprenticeship slash like kind of like a 1099 hybrid hiring process will kind of come about in more fruition in like a couple of years and i'll explain what i mean by that because because we're talking about interviewing someone and then having them come on to a company and expecting them to be there long term is kind of an absurd notion to me it seems like dating that person for a month to two months to see how the relationship is going to unfold and how everything Mm -hmm the various different variables there are in a company, even probably even more, way more so than in a relationship, um, come about. I just, for some reason, really see where someone comes on and, the, and you tell that person, okay, you, you interviewed well, like I get a good vibe from you, but you're going to be 1099 for the next month or two months. Mm-hmm. It's not the same thing as you're on a trial period with every company, because that's been the people, companies have been doing that for a long time. Um, it's a totally different feeling and setup when an employee comes on and they know, you know what, at any point in time, we can just cut you. And like it, it what I mean is like, uh, man, this is really difficult to explain. The expectation is already set that we need to, from the get go, we need to see if you're going to fit into our culture. Like if you're going to get along with everyone mm-hmm. and, you know what, if, if at the end of the day it doesn't work, then you go on your way, we'll go on our way mm-hmm. type of thing. And, you know, at the end of the two months, then they transition into kind of like a W-2 employee. Um, what's what's your thoughts on something like that where yeah. well, I, it's, I didn't do a good job explaining it either. No, I, but I get it. I mean, it, it is, I mean, well, it's already happening. The, the reality of it is, is that any businesses, for the most part, I've always wanted to 1099 people. It's just you didn't want to be 1099 because you wanted the stability of benefits and whatever other things, and you just wanted to know that you were 
right? Now that's not so much the case. Now, again, where you want people who want to have autonomy and flexibility, who want to work when they want to work, who want to be able to work overseas, who want to be able to travel, come back and work for three months at a time or whatever it is, people who are not having nuclear families the same way, who are not having homes, family, children the same, children the same way, all of those different type of things. So now that reality is just becoming more of a reality uh, when we talk about the gig economy and people being 1099. But the, the real question I want to ask you is, is if you were 1099 for two months or if you as an employer had somebody 1099 for two months, why would you ever want to make them a W-2? W-2. Why would anybody want to be a W-2? It's a great question. I, so don't I have know a unique it... perspective on this. Please, please. So, A, I, you know, like, I do multiple things, right? Mm-hmm. So I have, like, four part-time jobs right now. So, but one of them I truly am a 1099 employee in. Um, mm-hmm. You know, no benefits, no whatever. But it's a project base, right? So, like, I do one project mm-hmm. nine, ten times a year. She doesn't give a crap when it gets done. They don't care when, you know, you right. have a deadline. It needs to get met by that deadline. I don't care when. This is how much we're going to pay you. Whether it takes you... You know, 10 hours to do that or two hours to do that, you're going to get paid the same. You're going to yep. get, you know, whatever, which is perfect for me in that scenario because I can do it whenever I need to, whatever. The other scenario, I actually am a W-2 employee. Mm-hmm. However, I don't have the benefits. I don't have any of that kind of stuff in that mm-hmm. role and in that position. But the flip side to that is that while it may be better for the employer in some situations, it also makes it also has created, which I didn't expect when I started, but it creates a sense of fear in yeah. me as an employee mm-hmm. that I really wasn't expecting to feel until this started happening. Like, mm-hmm. I got to perform well enough or I got to act differently than maybe what I normally would have acted because I don't feel like they were willing to make the commitment to me. So it's it's just a very different feeling yeah, than what I, I can thought. See that. For sure. Yeah. And that's that's a flip side to it that I don't think most employees would probably consider and most most employees are looking for people who are willing to invest in them and willing to take that at least maybe I don't I shouldn't say that, but for some people for sure are wanting somebody to really invest mm-hmm. in them and see their thoughts as valid and see their ideas and all of that right. kind of stuff. And I think when you have a 1099 employee, you have to be very, consi- I mean, either way, I guess, but you have to be very um, diligent. You have to be very intentional about making sure that you're investing in them and making them still feel valued, whether or not it's per project or, you know, whatever. Right. Well, and that's why I think it'll ultimately happen that way, right? So what happens is it's a 1099 because education, information, access to those things is becoming so much more democratized mm-hmm. that a person can do it, right? So if you're a graphic designer, that person is, is in many cases, more effective than somebody that might be coming fresh out of school because that person, or has been out of school for some time especially, because that person is consistently updating their knowledge, right? They have access to that. They can get PhD level access on YouTube to various things, right? That person can keep updating their operating system, so to speak. The reason why the 1099 becomes attractive is because it allows people to get to the place that we were to begin with, which is that employment is an exchange. But the way that employment is structured, right, it gives people the, 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 the idea that it's not an exchange, that you're being done a favor, right? Because naturally your power is diminished as an individual amongst many, right? And so what happens is when you have a situation where the individual comes into work you're not doing me a favor right you're giving me monetary benefit i'm giving you my time energy and efforts you're you're, you're a business it's all mine 
When I go home, I have expenses. I have accounts receivable. I have shareholders. I have budgets. I have all the things that a business has. I have the exact same things. And so when we come in, the premise is this. People come in and they say, well, I pay you, so you should just do X, Y, Z. But the truth of, of it is, is that if you're an employee, you're not getting paid enough ever, right? That's guaranteed. That's how the model works, right? Because if I paid you as much as you produced, there'd be no what? There'd be no profit, mm -hmm. right? So I can't pay you as much as you produce. So as an employee, I have to pay you less than what, than what your essential value is, right? And it's communicated in the process, right? Because I can't pay you what you produce because then there would be no profit. So I'm always underpaying you. Now, the difference between what my expectation is and what I'm paying you needs to be made up in value, right? And the value is in what I value. As coming in as a contractor, I get to say, this is what I feel like the value is for these particular services, particular things. Do you agree, right? Most people grow up in a situation where they don't state their value. They confirm their value, right? Someone says, I'll give you 42000 to do this. Yeah, and you say, and you say yes or no. So Bob you're not, is kind of a smart dude. So you're not stating your value. You're just confirming it. You're saying your value is $42,000. Yeah. Whatever it is you're going to do. <clears throat> you know, you, we're rarely in a situation. That's why people don't have, don't exercise agency in most cases. They're not used to being able to say, this is what I would like. This is what my value is. This is what I can do for it. Da, 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 da. Yep. You know, and so that's why I think we will end up being there. But, you know, it's a long way to go because you have so much infrastructure that has to support. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because, like, something, something that I had done at, hd which i think we'll start to see more and more just because again going back to like the dating scenario particularly in south dakota you can pay someone i think if i remember right up to 700 dollars, and they don't have to be a w-2 employee mm -hmm. it, you can they can just work for you for up to 700 dollars. Mm -hmm. so when i would hire someone i would sit down have a talk with them you know just get to know them a little bit and i would say you're gonna have a working interview on saturday you're gonna come in I'm going to give you limited amount of instructions on how to perform something. And I want to see how good you can problem solve and communicate and, you know, all these various different things. And I would make clear to them that I don't care about what the end result is. I just want to see how you react to a situation. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. And I, I would tell them you're going to get, I don't know, 20, you're going to get 40 bucks for your time or 50 bucks for your time, right. something like that right. for an hour. Right. Like this is, this is what you're going to do. They would come in, they would do the thing, and I would look, I would try to pick up on specific things. I'm not going to sit here and act like I was a guru. I hired, I don't know, a half a dozen, eight people yeah. in my short period of time, right? But something that I would try to do is, so AHD was a car detailing business. I would try to figure out if they could figure out how to start the pressure washer by themselves. The reason why I wanted to see if they could do that is so that when they come up against a problem, it's not their first instinct is not to rush into the office and be like, well, this, I cannot figure this out. Like, well, just, no, I want to see if you can like kind of try to figure right. it out. Not because I don't want to help them, but because just try to figure it out first. Most of them could figure that part of it out, whether that be because they had experience previously, whatever. But then like, I would intentionally like try to not make things super easy to um, find in the shop. Like they wouldn't have a cart right there with everything that they needed. So right. they would kind of have to like, improvise or find something whatever then the most important part of all of it though was once they got done with their given task which was do a wash on the outside of the vehicle vacuum a certain area in a vehicle whatever detail a certain area i would uh go and look at it and i would try to intentionally spend too long looking at one specific area whether it was clean or not clean mm -hmm. 
And then if they immediately piped up and said, oh, listen, you know, I really didn't get that as good as I probably could have. Like, here's what I think maybe like where I kind of went wrong. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, that that to me is a good thing. You're not giving excuses. You're not trying to say like, oh, well, you know, you really handcuffed me because you didn't give me great. Uh, mm-hmm. Because, of course, I handcuffed you. Like mm-hmm. everything about being an employee are to a certain extent is about being handcuffed and figuring out things right. it, like the, that business is about figuring right. out things. Right. I'm always going to be here, but I can't have you coming in. 15 times an hour to like help me figure out things. And then after that, like each one of the, the only thing I was really proud about was the three, the three to four people that I had full time in my business. When I had the shop, uh, three out of the four went on to go start their own detailing businesses and are now operating those detailing businesses. Like that to me was something I was really proud of. And I made it brutally clear to them when they came on, I said, listen, this is not a long-term career mm-hmm. being a car janitor, which is essentially what we are is mm-hmm. not a long-term career. You're only going to be here for a certain amount of time. Totally understand that. What can I do to help you get to the point where like, when you move on, you're better equipped. You're better than when you came yeah. in here because I'm, I'm just guessing three to five years you're out. Do you want to go and start your own thing? Okay. What can I do to help with that? Like every one of my guys knew what, jobs are the most profitable in my shop and why we're pushing for this particular service and what the costs were for everything, which made them self-regulate chemical usage. I mean, the whole thing, I just absolutely loved it because just really did not need to be too hands-on with almost anything. So what's that particular hiring process? What's, what's your thoughts on that? Um, I think in, in any of those situations, I think, um, it, it depends on how it makes sense to you and how you measure it against the results, right? And so in your case, you feel comfortable with the results that you have, right? So we have a lot of people who do a bunch of different stuff that I ask questions and, and things of that nature. And so one of the things that we ask them is, okay, how do you verify? How are you verifying the questions when you go back and review them? All right, what do you mean? So you hire a person, but after five years, you got some people here and some people who aren't. The people who have been here for five years and are excellent, how did they answer those questions? people who are not here didn't do well how did they answer those questions they don't check right they don't go back and say all of our people who succeeded answer like this all of our people who didn't answer like this so they have a logic for all of it but they don't actually go back and verify it to see if it's really effective strategy the other thing i would say is is that there's two abilities that that they can display it is the person who's able to say hey i could have done this better and tried to do it better but there's also value in a person that does raise their hand and say, I was handcuffed. Because sometimes leaders handcuff their people. Yep. And their expectations don't change. Mm-hmm. And you can't handcuff people and still have the same expectations. In your case, you didn't have an expectation of what the quality was when it was going to be done. And because that's established, you can approach that in a different way. But in a lot of instances, people are handcuffing people and they are not changing their expectations. Right. And we have a, a whole generation of people who won't raise their hand and say they're handcuffed. So now we keep looking at the same thing on this hamster wheel saying, why can't we get this figured out? The other thing that I will offer to you, too, uh, just differently, not necessarily in your process, is one of the things that I really like, but um, which is experiential interviewing, which is what you're talking about. But some people do it um, in a sub- subconscious way because the, the skill piece of it, honestly, is the least important part of it, right? Like you were trying to find something, else, something different. So we have some clients or people where when you walk in to do the interview, that person that's the receptionist at that desk, that person's in on the interview, 
right? How you engage that person, how you talk to that person is part of energy. That person who takes you to the back and shows you around when you ask questions and engage those ways, that's the person that gives you, that, that, that person is a part of energy. When you're sitting next to them with someone doing a side-by-side, a shadow, whether or not you're interested in what's happening, that's part of energy. And so they have these experiential interviews where the experience is where you're determining what the person is, just like what you're doing. So I think there's a lot of value um, in that. For me, when I was interviewing folks, even in a traditional space, it was less about the questions that I asked you. I just wasn't really, um, I didn't fall in love with the information I was able to obtain, right? Correct. Because there's many a times where I was being interviewed where the person who was interviewing me didn't really realize that I was better at being interviewed than they were at interviewing. I was better at it. Mm-hmm. We don't think it, the person could be better at it because we're in the power position. We're the decider. But at the end of the day, skill is skill. And there's sometimes a person on the other side of you is more skilled than what you are. So for me, it was uh, the end was the questions you asked me. If you if we were having a situation where we're going to be in this role for the next 10 years, we're going to be operating together. This is where you're going to be spending the majority of time, the majority of energy, majority of effort. And you don't have any questions in terms of how we train people, how we treat people, how we build people, how we grow people, how we think about our customers, what our five-year plan looks like, what we hope to become, where we hope to be. If you're not interested in those type of things, this is not a career. This is a job for you. This is a thing that you're doing for money for the period of time. Mm-hmm. And that's not even to say that I won't hire you, but I'm very specific and I'm very clear about what I know this relationship is going to be and what I feel like this person falls into. So there's a lot of value in having that experience, but I think you really have to make sure you mind to go back and validate what it is you're assuming um, so that it becomes something that's more tangible and more real, and then you can really lean into it. And then if it works for you, then it works for you. So, you know, whatever your process is, it can work as long as you're validating it and you're making sure it does what it's supposed to. Yeah. And I think the, I think you made a really valid point, like, is this career versus a job? Mm-hmm. And the employer being clear about that up front, like, you said that you, that was something that you were clear with them. Like, this isn't, this isn't your lifelong career. But I think very few employees, at least in my, you know, 25 years of being employed in places, very few places understand that like very few places understand the value of is this somebody that's here for a job and that's not saying that they shouldn't be that's not saying that's not the position that you're hiring for but as long as everybody's expectations are clear going into that because you're looking for very different qualities in somebody to do a job than you are in somebody to have a career and the benefits package going back to like that marketing how to hire and retain people like how you market that is going to be very, very different. If you're looking for somebody who wants a job, they're going to be way more interested in pay. They're going to be way more interested versus somebody who's in it for a career wants to know about ongoing training and moving up within the company and And autonomy. I'm glad you said that because one of the exercises we do when we're onboarding a client, right? So we're talking to a client and if they they cite uh, recruitment being one of their issues, what I'll do is I'll ask them the question. I'll say, what are the most important attributes that you would want in a person that you're either going to work for, work with, or have work for you? Presumably for 10, 15 years. So what are the most important attributes you would want in the person that you would work for, work with, or have work for you for the next 10, 15 years? What would you say? What are the characteristics and attributes you would want them to have? Me personally? Yeah. Uh, so for me, it is... Uh, transparency, okay. uh, number one, no okay. matter what. Um, honesty. Okay. And really, I can say a bunch of words around that. Openness. I mean, okay. really just everything regarding that. I think 
uh, when I hire someone, whether it be outside contractor for doing a job or mm -hmm. um, an employee, probably over everything else is just um, autonomy. As and far somebody as somebody you might work for, <clears throat> what would you? What characteristics do you want them to have? Um, I basically want the expectation of if I tell you to do something and it's in your wheelhouse of skills, like I know that I hired you for this particular skill set, mm -hmm. videographer to shoot a video or photographer for mm -hmm. photos, whatever. If I say, listen, here's what we need done. I know this is in your wheelhouse of skills to do. Mm -hmm. I just need you to go out and do it. Like, here's the basic mm -hmm. structure around what I need. Like, put your own creative twist on it however you want, but I don't need to sit here for an hour and explain it to you. Like. Right. Just go and do it. As a, so as a characteristic, are you saying work ethic or what are you saying specifically? I wouldn't, this is a person that you're working with for 10 years. Yep. And the most important attribute you would want from that person is what? I, I, I wouldn't say work ethic. It just comes down to um, if I say I need you to do something, just just go do it. Same way, same reciprocated way mm -hmm. to me. If I have a particular set of skills that we've already agreed upon that I am really good at mm -hmm. and you tell me to do something, cool. Get off my back. I don't need to be micromanaged like – I'll just so get it want, done. You want to, but what I'm talking about the person. What do you want from the person? That's a that's the thing you want them to fix. What do you want in terms of characteristics from the human being? What type of human being do you want? I, right? I, like I, if, if I'm t if I'm giving you autonomy, but yep. I call you every when I do call you, I'm a jerk when I call you. Yep. Is that an environment that you're going to want to work in? No. Right. So, what do you want as an attribute for the person that you would work for, work with, or have work? I don't with? know. I don't know if I'm doing. So think of, think of your business partner right now. So think yep. of Justin, like. What qualities have drawn you to Justin as a business partner? Right. It's just the fact that we need this end result. Like, however you want to so go. So no matter it. how he talks to you, no matter what, if he's moody, whether he's whatever, that the interpersonal part has no bearing to you. As long as they just do. So um, I know this might seem kind of odd and strange. Um, so like. Shelly and I have talked a couple mm -hmm. of times about Clifton strengths for me. Mm -hmm. And one of my top five is actually adaptability. Mm -hmm. So like if someone's just kind of really laid back and you know, it doesn't like they're kind of like the sloth or the turtle, right? right? You give them the task. I mean, the turtle might be slow and like going at it. If, but if I say, listen, the due dates like this, I just need it done by then. Here's right. the task. Then I, I feel semi-confident that no matter what kind of the personality is like, I can, I might not be, I'm not going to sit here and say I'll be amazing at dealing with it, but like, right. I can just kind of like deal right. with it, that part of it. Right. Right. But overall, everything else on top of everything else, here's the task. Here's what it needs to be done by. And okay. then boom. Well, done. So, so while we're doing this exercise, essentially what's happening is I'm asking this question. So they give the attributes. Now, normally it's trust, integrity, empathy, kindness. Those are the things that people would normally want from a person. Go the, figure, I'm weird. <laughs> well, it's not about being weird. Everybody wants the person just to do the thing. Yeah. But I have to sit in the office with you. I don't care if you do the thing. If I hate you, if I don't yeah. like you, I don't care if you're good at doing the thing, if you make all those people worse at doing the thing because they don't like working with you and they won't listen to you. Yep. I don't care if you're good at doing the thing, if I go home to my wife and I'm depleted because your negativity is sucking out my negativity. Nobody, when people don't work well together, it almost has nothing, it never has anything to do with the work. 
in well, in many cases, it's really work. That's how it manifests itself. Mm-hmm. But it's usually in an interpersonal component. The reason why the work got that bad is because you couldn't communicate with that person before it got that bad. Yeah. Right. And so that's just part of the element. But we don't have to belabor that point. But in any event, what would be happening is is that we would get that from while we're doing that, my my business partner would be pulling up one of their job descriptions. They would be pulling up, uh, um, you know, uh, job openings. And then we asked them, how many of those words that you just gave us are in that? How many do you think are normally in that? Zero. Zero. Maybe punctuality. Yep. Maybe just... Get the get the job done. Right, right. right. Those things might be in there, but none of the other stuff is in there. Now, what happens is there's two reasons why you have a job description. One is to persuade the people you want to apply. The other one is to persuade the people you don't want to apply. You know what? Real quick interjection. Yeah. Self-motivation might be probably... If right. I have to externally motivate someone constantly, that would probably drain that's me. That's an attribute, right? Yeah. That's going to be something where... I'm just trying to think through, like... like um, yes. Yeah. Because I'm currently, like, dealing with this with, like, a friend of mine, which I won't really say it, but, like, I can't think of anything worse than sitting there and trying to be like, go get him, son, like, three <laughs> times a day. I'd just be like... Right. Just... Just go do it. Like right. I don't. But but even that, I'm I'm gonna pick on you in a second. Please do. Please pick on me. Let me, just, let me on just finish me. this particular concept. Yep. So, what happens is is that you bring a person in and you might persuade somebody that's a liar and knows how to use words and dissuade somebody that's honest and doesn't know how to use Excel. Which one is easier to teach, integrity or Excel? Excel. <laughs> right. Yeah. So what we're looking for is integrity. What we'll give them is Excel. That's what we're trying to get people to, you know, kind of lock in on. So to your point, what you're saying is, is that you put a very specific amount on it when you said, I don't want to have to motivate you, tell you three times to do whatever. That seems like a throwaway line, but that's important because the perception that you have of what you would be required to do is X amount, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You're required to motivate. What if you had to tell them one time a day? Mm -hmm. Would you do that? Mm -hmm. What if you had to tell them one time a week? You made it three times a day because three times a day is more than what you were going to do. Yeah. And so that'll keep you from doing it at all. And what we're trying to say is that this is customized. It's not about uh, you, you do what's necessary. So, like, for instance, one of the things that, that's, that's hurt, I feel, our community, uh, just the general region in particular, but just the world, the America especially, is the idea of cookie um, uh, uh, gold star, right? Which is if a person takes care of their kids or pays their bills or shows up to work on time. That's all things that we think they're supposed to do. And in the land of sucking it up, which the Midwest is, where we're good mm. at sucking it up, we'll stay yep. in a bad job for forever before we complain. Amen. What happens is when we're talking about that is um, uh, we're, we're playing up the, 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 the issues. We're playing up the frustration. So when we're thinking about these things, we think about you should have done that, right? You should have done that. What do you want, a gold star? What do you want, a cookie? You know, you're supposed to take care of your kids. But when so many people are not taking care of their kids or paying their bills or coming to work on time or whatever, if all it costs you is a cookie or a gold star, give them the damn cookie. That's that's the book title. What are we talking about? (laughs) Like, if the barrier between you doing something I want you to do and not doing it is me asking you, if the barrier is between you doing it multiple times without me having to ask you, it's a high five once a week, or a data boy, what are we talking about? Yeah. When people are talking about they don't have time, right? Okay, they say they don't have money. Those are the two most popular reasons why people don't do things. And, and just generally because it's difficult. So when you don't have those resources, or people say they don't have those resources, there's one resource that you have an endless amount of. 
And that's gratitude. And that's appreciation. And that's conversation. And that's engagement. You don't run out of that. Mm-hmm. And so if that is the barrier between me getting someone to behave in a way that's ultimately going to get me where I want to get, I don't even have to be... The, the hope is, is that, right, like I might be considerate about your feelings or whatever, but I don't have to care at all. It's just the best practice. Right. <laughs> it's just the best way to get people to do stuff. Yeah. And that, it just, this is kind of going off subject now because this is Let Marketing go, Monday, but wherever. this is where we're talking today. Where so we're going, we don't it just totally reminds me of parenting, right? So I yes. have four kids. Right. Two are teenagers. One is a tween and one is a toddler. Well, as you're coming into this teenage years, like, we, the thing we number one tell our kids all the time, just be a good human. Like that's, I want you to get mm-hmm. out of this house and be a good human. Do I, do I applaud you for getting good grades? Sure. Do I applaud you for whatever? Mm-hmm. But I just want you to be good to people. And so at home, like we're not going to just let things slide under the rug when they tease a sibling. That's not being a good human. Like right. that doesn't make that person feel good. Right. And so why would we? Why would we just say, "Oh, they're just joking around"? Right. No, absolutely not. Right. Because if you wouldn't do that to somebody outside this house, why the hell would you do that to somebody inside this house? Right. So, like, when you're talking about understanding gratefulness and understanding, like, trying to get them to that end result, mm-hmm. like for me as a parent. It has really shown its head in the last couple of years of like each one of those kids is so uniquely different of right. what matters to them mm-hmm. and being able to understand what their love language is or like right. I haven't ever done love languages with my kids, but as parents, you're well, you learning, right? But the, like even a punitive language. Right. But I mean, just understanding like one of my kids really values materialistic things Mm -hmm. and whether or not I agree with that or whether it's hard for me to communicate in that, that's what's important to him. Right. Another one of them literally had the sides blown out of his damn shoes before he finally was like, Hey mom, I could use a new pair of shoes. Right. Because the material things don't matter to him at all, but communicating him being able to walk into my bedroom at night and being like, I just want to sit down and talk. Right. Like, that's super important to him. Right. So, like, learning, and the same is true for business aspects. And oh, I, yeah. and I right. learned this very pretty early on in my business life. But I think there's so many people that I'm working for now, like, on the flip side of that, that don't understand that at all. Mm. They don't understand the difference of you have to really learn how to play into every single person's different. Can't be a cookie cutter because the stuff that yeah. is going to make me feel special, like, there is nothing in the world. I can honestly say that in however long I've been at one of my positions now, like, the day that I walked in and there was a handwritten note on my desk. Mm-hmm meant way more to me than if there would have been a bonus check sent there. Right. Like, and that requires and that requires um a level of engagement, which is which is why I think 1099 is eventually the blue stars is developed. Uh, also because right now what you have is you have a worker plus model, right? So if you're a supervisor, you're a worker plus, which means you do work plus you deal with these humans. And so the availability is not built into the position anymore. You're supposed to have a full day of work yourself. And so when those people need availability either because of the issue that they have or or the time that it takes to identify talent or to learn someone's uh, value system or what they value is not there and thus we never really get what we need to be able to manage humans how we want to be able to manage them i work for a company a fortune 500 company that employed over three hundred and thirty thousand people now just by the statistics just based off of statistics when we're talking about one to nine one to ten something like that, of people being genius or of higher level of intellect. 
there are thousands of geniuses walking the hallways in that building. And that person is going to stuff envelopes. And that person is going, not that there's anything wrong with the position, but that person can do a whole host of things. And they don't even enjoy the position that they're in. And nobody's looking for their talent. Nobody's trying to re, uh, 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 reappropriate their talent. Nobody's trying to put them in their strength zone. Nobody's going by hearing somebody communicate in an amazing way and say, you know what? You seem to be really good at teaching people things. Maybe you should be in our training department. Nobody's trying to find the best place for people. Mm-hmm. We have Absolutely. a job and then we stick people in it and then we hope that it pans out. And we don't want to have to touch you. We want to hire you based off of somebody else's knowledge, right? Somebody else's training. So we want to be able to pull you off the street, either from your previous employer or school that you went to. We want you to already come with the knowledge. We already want you to come with the desire. We want you to come with the ethic. We want you to come with all of those things. You come in here, we want to stick you in there. And we would even prefer if you learn trial by fire. We didn't even have to deal with it. And we don't even want to have to upkeep with you or engage with you. And so what we have to step back and say is, is what do you want for a return for so little investment? And when that investment is, is purely thought of in a monetary way, well, I spent this money to do X, so I should get Y. I take you back to what I was saying earlier and that you don't pay people enough. You can't pay a person what they're worth. You can only pay them what the work is worth. So if you're telling me that this job is worth $35,000, do you expect more than $35,000 return? You damn sure do, mm-hmm. right? So if you were paying somebody $35,000 and they were only producing $35,000, you would feel like you were getting cheated. Yep. Right? Absolutely. And that's an equitable exchange. That's the point. That thought process, how we even view that transaction, has to start to change and has to understand that when I used to tell my people all the time is, look, you don't work for me. You You report to me. You work for your family. You work for you. You work for your dreams, your passions, all those other types of things. You don't work for me. I don't get what you take home. Your family gets what you take home. So you're responsible for what you take home. And that's your motivation. I shouldn't be your motivation. No carrot, no stick. Your life, your quality of life should be your motivation. So th- so what we're looking for are people who want a better life. What we want people for is people who want to grow. And we have to have the space and availability to be able to develop them. Because if you didn't teach it to them, you should be fairly comfortable with the idea they don't know. Absolutely. Like, are you jazzed up about this? I music? am because honestly, are you glad we like, didn't talk about marketing? The, because yeah. let me. <laughs> because to me, like again, like there's so much of it that relates back to parenting for me. I mean, I feel like there's so many things in the business realm and hiring and how you deal with employees and how you communicate and all that kind of stuff that just relates back to you know how we were raised, you know, in the '90s into how mm-hmm. our generation is raised now, like. How do you, how as, as a parent, like, how do you expect your kid to be 18 and get out and live out on their own if they've never seen your family's budget before? Right. How do you expect your kid to be right. 18 and get out on their own if you've never taken them to the grocery store and say, here's a hundred bucks, plan for the week? Like, yeah. how do you expect them to be able to live if you've never taught them life skills? Yeah. And I think the exact same thing is true in hiring and in businesses. Like, how do you expect somebody to do a job if you don't equip them? with right. the necessary communication or like establish that relationship to right. teach them how to do that. And that's going to suck sometimes. Like it's going to be rocky because they're not always going to want to do it. And you're not, right. you're going to tell them things that you don't, they don't necessarily want right. to hear. But if you do it with love and you show up the next day and say, you know what? That sucked yesterday, but I still love yeah. you and I'm never giving up on you. Yeah. Like that's the, that's yeah, this the, is the only thing I'll um, add to that though. So thinking back to my specific self when I was younger, mm-hmm. let's just say that my parents gave me a hundred bucks and said, you have to figure out your food for the week on this. 
I can tell you with 100% certainty right now that maybe, maybe like two, three times I'd give it a shot, right? But because there's no danger in failure, I'd just be like, I'd spend that $100 on whatever and then be like, well, what are you going to do? Make me not eat for a week? <laughs> All right. I'll play that game. Well, first of all, well, that's why you're like, shot at oh. with my mom. And, uh, the answer would have been, yup, I'll make you not yes. eat. Don't touch none of that in there. Because, because this but, is but where... The second side to that, though, is like once you get out and you are 18 and mm-hmm. you are living on your own, you now have a limited budget, right? Like, you could call your parents. I couldn't. Like, I couldn't call my parents and say, I can't make rent. Can you guys loan me 100 bucks? They'd be like, I don't give a shit. Figure it out. Go donate plasma. Go do whatever the hell yep. you need to do. The different, I'm not, so the thing is, I've equipped my children with the knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. Whether or not they actually apply it until they're 18, 20, 21, do, isn't going to matter. But when they call me and they're 21 and say, I can't make rent, I'm going to say, I love you. I'm always going to be here for you, but you better go donate plasma. You better go sell that yeah. guitar yeah. you just bought. Or well, whatever, I just, I just think know? that's an important part it, to it like um, play into because this is kind of like, and we have two younger kids, so like we yeah. haven't had to play this scenario out too often, but. It's kind of where Jess and I differ a little bit on um, our opinions on, not opinions on how to raise kids, but just we go about things differently. If if Ben, my three-and-a-half-year-old, is keeps trying to touch a hot stove, and we ha- I'm sitting there and telling him, no, no. You know what? On that third time, we're like, yeah, go ahead. Touch the stove. Oh, that's hot? Okay. Go sit down. Thanks. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Like, but Jess, on the other hand, will like, no, 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 no. And that's not to say that Jess is wrong or, like, well, maybe. I mean, like, <laughs> I'm just simply saying there has to, you have to, if you're going to do something like that, my only thing would be there has to be a consequence to the action if you don't do it the way that the world wants you to to well, fulfill that action. So what I would, I would say is I think this overall concept is still relevant, and I, I'll loop it back around to marketing, but this is, a, this is all relevant the same way. So in terms of what connects to a person, you don't necessarily, your attention doesn't always influence that, right? And so whether it's parenting or leading or, uh, or anybody, it's, it's important that you communicate and you clarify what the expectations are, right? Because that's where frustration comes from. It's the lack of expectations yep. being met. How do we communicate the expectations? We have young kids that come to us all the time, and I hear coaches always yelling, listen, listen, listen. We always take our kids as soon as we get them. We say, hey, listen, this is what listening is to us. Hands by your side, mouth closed, eyes on me, ears open, not talking to the person next to you. If you're not doing that, you're not listening. If we're not listening, we got to run. So when they got to run, what happened? I didn't listen. Who's that on, me or you? That was on me. They can understand that because it's a direct connection to the consequence versus the punishment. Now, the reason why I do that is not just so that they get it. And so that they understand the way that they got it and a connection between it. The off the, the, the problem, or at least the potential problem of the particular strategy with your son is that, yes, that thing is going to lock into his brain. Absolutely. But what is that thing that's going to lock into his brain? How did he learn that lesson? What did he learn? Yeah. Did he learn that hot stove burn your hand? Or did he learn that his father would let him put his hand on a hot stove? Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily get to control what he takes right. away from that in, in interaction. And right. so unless we go through and we explain the, the 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 context of why we're learning that thing, it doesn't necessarily get filed where it needs to get filed. Did he learn something? Mm-hmm. 
right? Is it what you intended for him to learn? And it, it can file it in a way that's going to use it. So if you get $100, you might go buy something else with it. You might not get the skill, but you're going to get the concept. And so even having the concept of understanding, having to manage a budget, when you go from being in a person's home where you just go to a magical cabinet that just fills up with shit, and you go to a situation where it does not, right? Then you say, oh, I got to manage this. I yeah. have to budget this, even right. if you didn't actually get the skill. So it's the same thing when we're talking about people, and this is why it comes back to marketing, because internal marketing is so important. Constantly and consistently in passive ways communicating the framework of what it is that you're trying to do, the expectations that you're trying to set, that frame up the experience so that when you do have to provide a consequence, it's not necessarily punitive, right? We've communicated this. I'm not doing this to hurt you. Punishment assumes that I'm trying to bring pain to you. I'm not trying to bring pain to you. I'm not your punishment. I'm your consequence. It's cause and effect. We said, when we sat down, that if you did X, Y was going to happen. You did X, Y is happening. Who, right? That's factual. Right. Then you don't develop resentment for me. You don't develop hatred for me, frustration mm -hmm. for me or why we're doing it. And that's what we want to do. So as we're marketing internally in our companies, telling people all the time, this is why we're doing it. This is what we believe in. This is what we're trying to achieve. This is the level we're trying to set. This is the quality. Now, what that does is that bolsters the culture inside the building, but more importantly, what it does outside of the building. There's a reason why for the entire length of human history, word of mouth is the most important form of advertising. Why is that? It's the trust factor, right? right. If I trust yep. you, you're going to do that. So you can run a million ads all you want. Most of the people you want already have jobs. The thing that's going to get somebody a job is when your employee goes to the bar with his friend that hates his job and wants to bitch about it, and your, and your person who works for you says, man, I love where I'm at, bro. They treat me well. They respect me. They appreciate me. What is he going to say? Mm -hmm. Are you hiring? Right. That's where you get the talent. That's where you get the quality. That's how you do it. It's all by way of culture. And so if you market it effectively internally, if you promote with it outwardly, if you make your people personalities, if you make them dynamic, if you make them valuable so that they can leave you, yeah, they'll be more likely to stay. Um, something something that you had you in your explanation that, um, again, like I have a lot of service-based companies on here or people that follow me on Facebook and, you know, this is posted on my personal Facebook. Something that I just want to kind of put some context on for that mm -hmm. is as an employee when I was younger, I never understood why we couldn't have the widget or the gadget or the tool to make our jobs more efficient and be able to complete work faster. For sure. I would always be like, well, if we spend $10,000 on this, it allows us to do this many more jobs faster, which means that we actually make the company more money long-term, you know, whatever. But one thing that was, um, when I hired my guys, one of them, I don't remember who it was, came up to me and said, how much did this, this is when we were doing ceramic coatings, how much did this kit cost? And I said, $220. And he goes, so, and how much did we charge the customer? I said, $1,500. He goes, so let me get this straight. It only cost us $220 to do this $1,500 service, which means we profited X. And you're paying me how much an hour? And, you know, then he did the math and he's like, so you're pocketing $1,000. You're taking home $1,000. Right then and there, I don't know, like, it's crazy how it all worked, but I immediately then was like, oh, he's literally thinking the exact same thing that I used to think five to eight years ago. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I right then I was like, time out. 
everyone get into the office just put everything down we're gonna we're gonna talk about this so i was at that point in time mm -hmm. i went through and i showed them what actually expenses had to be made in the business mm -hmm. and everything like that and i showed them listen we're not doing anything extravagant here just and at the end of this job we profit a hundred to two hundred dollars you know whatever right. whatever it was after all of this and then it was at that moment that every one of them was like oh right okay so right. now another thing so for you guys who are running service-based businesses and you have people that are doing this for you another important thing that i tried to do was say I'm setting money aside because I want your guys' jobs money to be, or I want your guys' jobs to be even easier, but I'm not out there doing the work. Right. What about if every week or every two weeks, whatever, we quick sit down, have a 15 minute chat and say, okay, here's the jobs that we had last week. What wasn't going well? What, what mm -hmm. do you guys think that you need in the shop in order for your guys' jobs to go better? And then, I think at some point in time, someone pointed out, you know what? We really need a better pressure washer. I say, you know what? That's not a bad idea. Here's the only problem that we have to overcome then. And let's figure this out. A new pressure washer, if we're going to do it, we're going to want to buy a really good one, which costs $3,000. Now, judging off of what we make and what I have to pay you guys, how are we going to get to $3,000 in a in a reasonable amount of time? Like, right. it doesn't work, you know? Or we can do that, but here's the reason why we have to wait a month and a half to two months in order right. for that to happen. Right. So that it's not, the relationship is, we ask for something, Adam just says no. Yeah. Right. yeah and you're yeah. setting expectations. You're giving context as to why that is. And you're taking them through an education process. Yeah. That's what I was saying earlier, where a lot of people, they had this matrix mindset where like you just grab somebody off the street, you stick a thing in the back of their brain, and it's like, I know Kung Fu, right? That's not, that's you, not you know, real you know life. Kung, you know Kung Fu, <laughs> You know what you? I mean? That's not real life. And, and and what the prospect has always been is, again, you're attracting people who already come with this stuff. But then what people are learning right now is that you have to you have to get people to unlearn this stuff, those bad habits and things that we're allowed to do there. And you need to educate them up in the way you want things done anyway, the way you perceive it, based off of your expectations. And that's what it really comes down to. So marketing, like anything, is really managing expectations. It's saying to the people out there, listen, I'm educating you on this project. Here's what you can expect from this project and based off of what you need. If, if this is something that you need to meet your expectations, this is what you need. It's the same thing internally. It's being able to, to, to communicate what the expectations are, both what our expectations are in terms of what we need to do this job effectively and what your expectations are in terms of how you need to be treated to be effective. Mm -hmm. And that's really what we're trying to get. We're trying to accomplish something because, again, what we all have to get is this is that people do and make things for people. So it doesn't matter what you do, and it don't matter what you make. It's for people. People are the point, period. That's the whole point of this thing. And, and sometimes, because we have so many, much stuff, we have so many different constructs and so many different institutions and things around us and stuff like that, that sometimes we don't just ask ourselves a simple question. Like, what's the point? You know? What's the point? There's really two types of answers people normally give us. They either give us the answer where they're like, well, to pay bills. That's why I work. Because we ask people why they work, and they say to pay bills, which I think is the saddest answer possible. That's a waste of a life. If you spend your life to make money to give it to somebody else for stuff, I don't understand that whatsoever. But there's some people who say, well, I do it for my family. And that's so interesting to me because they say that they do it for their family, but nothing in their behavior suggests that it's ultimately for the benefit of their family. 
most people are not, they, they, what they're doing is they're getting money for a house, not necessarily a home. They're getting money for a boat, not necessarily recreation. They're getting stuff, but they're not getting what they're supposed to get from the stuff. For your family, because if you're not ever there, that home, that house is not a home, mm-hmm. right? And so we have to ask ourselves, ultimately, what is the point of what it is you're doing and what it is you're trying to accomplish? And there's too many people who justify being bad at their marriage by being good at their job. What's the point, right? Again, so the idea that we have the expectation that people come to work and leave it at the door, it's just goofy, because humans... Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, we're emotional yeah. beings. <laughs> it's just not even. It's not even a real thing. And, it, and why? Why would we want it to be? <laughs> right. Why would we want? I, I, for for me in that position as a leader, it's more convenient if you just come to work like a mindless automaton and just do what I need you to do. Right. So I don't have to deal with that. Yes, of course, it's more convenient. It's just not realistic. Mm-hmm. It's not a thing, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's not about. It's about teaching. It's about developing people, and you have to develop that appetite. For anybody who wants to have people, for anybody who wants to have good people, you have to develop the appetite for that. Should can't live there. can't be about you should know this, you should do that, you should have did this. Should don't mean shit, and shit don't happen like it should, right? It just don't. And so we have to think about what actually gets that human to do what we want that human to do. Mm -hmm. And in almost every instance, it's the intrinsic values that motivate people to do things. Right, the material values are how they justify things. Right, you work seventy hours, you justify that time away from your family with how much money you make. Yeah. But what got you to do it is not being out here in this. What was the type of house that you? That, that, that was your motivation. That was your engagement. Right. Yeah. So we're motivated by different things, but we justify it um, with money, and so that's fleeting. So, on that bombshell. I'm, I'm assuming, I think we're coming close up to the end of time. Oh, we're probably over time. Okay. This was a fantastic, yeah. like, <laughs> I gotta ask you one question. Do you yeah. know what your strength finder? Yes. Is your number one belief? It is third. It's I my am, third, too, actually. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm strategy, uh, maximizer, belief, communicator, relator. Did you ever figure out what yours were? You sent them to Yeah, me. I sent them to you. You obviously don't care enough to... I do, but they were, they were off the... I looked mine up again this weekend, actually, because I was having a conversation at the gym um, with Thaddeus on Friday. Thaddeus. Thaddeus. <laughs> he was at the gym Friday. He was at the gym today. I don't know if you saw. They have this little thing, like motivational thing going between Adam and External Thad motivation and versus internal motivation. Yeah. No, so he was there. I like it, though. But anyway, so Thaddeus and I were having this discussion at the gym on Friday. So that's what we all do while we're at the gym, yeah. right? Yeah. You don't actually work out. Thad, I'm I'm going to show up to that gym <laughs> and yeah. shove a barbell Please. so far. I want you to show up to my gym. Oh. I love it. You should show up to my gym, I love, too. Well, it's amazing. I, for me, I just love, I love being distracted. I enjoy it. It was just one of those days. Like, it worked out well. It was Friday morning. Everybody stayed home. There wasn't many people there. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but uh, Thad has woo very high. On his list, I believe, if I remember correctly. Or Chelsea, that's what we were talking about. Chelsea right. is like, got way up, uh, way up there. So I looked mine up because I was like, gosh, I wonder where it is on mine. It's number 19. <laughs> like, I don't even know how many. I don't even so know Thad how many. and I were having a discussion. You said relator. And so Thad and I were yeah. having a discussion this morning. Is like, if woo is 19 for you, then relator is really high because those two yeah. are usually like exact opposites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, my number one is strategy. Yeah. Uh, strategy, okay. belief, learner, uh, futuristic. And I can't remember the fifth one now, but mm-hmm. yeah, no, it, I mean it's interesting because some of those are, are dead on. 
for me, anybody that knows me specifically, my brain thinks almost a pure strategy. Yeah. Which is why I'm not, I don't get super emotional about things. Which is really funny because, like, I've had a lot of discussion about people. And, like, so Chelsea's coming on in five weeks, six weeks, something like that, to do our Strength Finder. So I should probably about. pay for the full Strength Finder yeah, thing, huh? Yeah, so, but Chelsea is pretty amazing. Yeah, strength yeah. Finder, right? So, um, but she totally flipped that on my head for me. And we can, I guess... So you got to go because we're just going to keep recording. Okay. Distractions high up on his list, remember? <laughs> so we, uh, she totally flipped that on my head for me because I, having a strategy as number one really helped me to see the way that I think as mm-hmm. a positive vibe rather mm-hmm. than a negative. It had always been such a mindset for me my entire life that strategy meant manipulative. Right. That it was very like, well, you just like, figure things to be able to get what you want. Well, I mean, like, well it is manipulative. It, it's just man, manipulative is, manipulation is a general word. It's, it doesn't ha- necessarily... It doesn't have, yeah. have to be negative, yeah, right? it doesn't have to be negative. But it was just one of those things that was like, when she went through that with me, I was like, that's exactly what it yeah. is, and that makes a whole yeah. heck of a lot of sense, that I'm yeah. very strategic on the moves that I make, the things I say, the, you know, whatever. Yeah. But, that's, yeah. that's I, I went through that experience years ago where many years ago, where, you know, where you do feel weird. You feel like you're cheating because you're a move ahead of the, mm-hmm. of who you're yeah. engaging with. Yep. Like, it's unfair that we're supposed to... Co- and it's like, I don't get to manage your preparation. I don't get to manage your engagement. I don't get to manage how much you think about a thing or any of that. I get to manage that on this side of it. And so, for me, I just don't see the reason to not take advantage of that. Now, the assumption is, is that because you have that advantage, that you're going to take advantage of the person. Versus taking advantage of your knowledge and what you have invested in. That's the only thing that makes sense. And so for me, I don't feel weird about moving pieces around the board. And even and even in terms of people, like when, when someone calls me and they call me for a thing, I'm not like, oh, you want to call me for this thing. Because I would rather be used than be useless. What, what, at the end of the day, you want to use your abilities, you want to use your abilities. If I call you for something, best believe I have a strategy. Right. It's for a thing. Right. Would you feel better about giving me your time and your talents if I didn't have anything I was going to do with it or if I didn't have a real plan for it? That don't even make sense. Right. <laughs> right. And so for me, like the dynamic part we have in our brain, the reason why we just don't eat, have select, have sex, kill food and, and then poop is because we have a more dynamic brain that allows us to strategize in ways that other species can't. Like why in the world would we go out of our way to not do that? Yeah. And so for me, I don't have any qualms about being strategic anymore. I used to. And um, and now, like, again, it's, it's, it's something that makes sense for me and it and, and, and allows me to not be the victim or not be um, uh, uh, trapped, the prisoner of any moment because I look at so much further out, right? So for yep. me, because I'm looking at five or ten years, there's no moment that's a life or death moment for me unless I'm dead, in which case. You're not really thinking anymore, <laughs> <laughs> right? So, like, if I'm here, there, there's you know, there's a saying that I love, which is you know, all of the yesterdays prove that you'll make it till tomorrow. You know, um, I have no reason to believe that I won't. Like, I've been through worse. You know. I think the uh, I think the big takeaway that I'm taking away from today is that I'm gonna go back and rewatch this and sit there with the pen, and I'm just gonna be writing <laughs> down like all of these like little like. Nugget, not nuggets. What's the words on it? Yeah, all these one-liners out of here. Like you're amazing at that. Um, I've, I mean, I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've repeated this, both in Vani's presence and outside of Vani's presence. But 
every single time I talk to Vani, I that is exactly the exact same feeling that I come away with that. I'm like every Vani is one of the few people on this earth that I can sit there and probably what him and Clint do really, really well for me is just ask questions mm-hmm. and pose stuff. And not necessarily to have a strategic um, answer that they're trying to draw mm-hmm. out of me. It's more of like, no, like, just ask this question, leave and be, and then, like, mm-hmm. ruminate on it. Like, yeah. just sit on it and think about Let it, right? process it. And every single time I've talked to Vani, it is, I could sit here, and I just always come away thinking I could have sat six more hours with the guy and just talked. In fact, there's actually something I've been meaning to talk to you about. Mm-hmm. Um because I know that <clears throat> you and I could have a really good conversation about it, um, but it's not probably not a conversation that I could be. How you gonna tease that? <laughs> because because I it's something it was it was a conversation that I had with a guy on a plane that I struck up a conversation with this random dude on a plane, and I came away so mind effed mm-hmm. from it. I was like wait, this actually happens? Like, that's actually a thing? Uh, and then the very first person I thought of, it was it was racial. Um, okay, we'll, yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll get into the, um We'll talk about it, but the oh, very first thing... To, that's going to be a pay-per-view. <laughs> <laughs> the very first thing I thought of is, I was like, I, I need to talk to Vani about this because I know he's the type of person that I can ask it, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then we can just have a conversation about yeah. it, and it's not like there's no strings attached yeah, or anything. Yeah. Because I was like... Sitting there talking to him, I was like, wait, no, that's no, not that that's not actually a thing, that's is it? <laughs> but anyways, well, we got to finish this conversation. <laughs> Bonnie. All right, so we're over. So the last five minutes is yeah. always you get to talk about whatever you want to talk about. So you can talk about your business. You can talk about your kids. You can talk about yeah. Adam's crazy hair or whatever you want to talk about. Yeah. Last five minutes. It's on you. All right. So for me, uh, we have a couple things going on with Think3D. First of all, with just Think3D, make sure you follow us at lessthink3d.com and all of our uh, different socials at Think3D. We do a lot of sets of what we call accelerators. They're kind of like boot camps for communication or for coaching and that type of thing that we have out there. People have been asking for us to do it for a long time. Well, as long as we've been around anyway. Um, and we normally do things for larger organizations or organizations of any size, but we had individuals that wanted to improve their skills or they had a leader or their organization may not fully support them doing that, but it'll allow them to do this type of thing. So make sure you look for those because that's a great way to really get engaged with our skills. The other thing that we really want to promote, have people get some knowledge on is uh, our Leaders of Tomorrow program, which we're really proud just of. Just announced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we just did this. Um, it's our second cohort of this particular run. Um, we got a gracious gift from the Beacom family, and part of it was matched by the uh, Sioux Falls Area Community Foundation. And so we take essentially about 25, 30 folks through a 12-week intensive leadership development program. That's part of our philanthropic arm of Think3D, and our goal is is to produce 500 formally trained leaders by the year 2025. We're going to have the largest changeover in wealth, responsibility, and power the world has ever seen with boomers leaving the workforce in their positions of influence. And we have a lot of folks who are going to be stepping up to those positions. And if we want to ever have a situation where we can go to the polls and choose between the best of the best versus the lesser of two evils, then we need to develop better people in general. And we need to give them some perspectives earlier. And so we want to do that, and we want to do that for all of our leaders, as many as as many as possible. And then we want to be specific to focus on uh, veterans, sheltered populations, those transitioning from incarceration and youth as well as young professionals that we're creating that base right now. So eventually what will happen is that we'll step away from the program, 
people who have graduated from it will become the adjuncts and they will eventually teach it so it'll be self-perpetual. And it will also thrust people into a network of people that are in the community well positioned that can help them level up. Because we all know it's not what you know, it's who you know, or at least it's mostly who you know. And so we want to give them uh, both. We want to give them the what and the who. Um, they got to figure out the how. But That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well. Right. Sign <laughs> off for this week. This, is, this has been awesome. Yep. This one got me, got me excited. Yeah, that's what, that's what Bonnie does. Yeah. Let's go. All right, make sure to do your closeout statement. All right. Peace out, Brussels sprout. Oh. Adios. <laughs>